Okay, hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of CLTV at Educator Innovator. It's September 15th and I am super excited to be here to uh, chat with an amazing group of maker educators. My name is Danny Kirk. I am the community coordinator at MakerEd and uh, I'm super excited to be here. Today we're going to be uh, discussing equity and diversity in maker education and we're going to be taking some time to uh, really go beyond those ideas and, and think about going beyond the buzzwords, like the title says. Um, we're gonna explore what equity-minded maker education really looks like in practice. You know, we're not just talking about it. We have an awesome group of educators here who are in there. They're doing it, they're making things happen. So this is, this is like I said, this is beyond the buzzwords. So we're gonna use um, their stories and some uh, great sort of open-ended discussion to talk about the way that making can really excite and empower traditionally underserved communities, and we can show the ways that uh, you, as educators out there watching this, can, can take steps to authentically engage all of the members of your community. Um, so I'm really excited, like I said, I'm excited to have all these awesome people here. I'm gonna let them introduce themselves. Uh, thank you to all of our guests for taking the time to be here. And to kick it off, I'll let uh, David Clifford introduce himself. David, take it away, and uh, let's hear a little bit about what you do. Uh, hello. My name is David Clifford. I, as of two weeks ago, am celebrating 20 years as an educator. Uh, 13 of those years, I have been a shop teacher. Uh, eight of those years have been um, as a school designer and school builder. I uh, was also a senior learning experience designer at the Stanford D School for a few years. Um, and I'm now working on building a new school in Oakland, a high school that's grounded in equity and innovation and is hoping to bring the five regions of Oakland together to learn side by side uh, to create revolution. And I've been an equity practitioner since the second grade when my BFF at the time said that she had to leave the school that we were at um, because it wasn't safe for her as a black girl. And that stuck with me for uh, over 40 years. Suzette, why don't you go ahead and, and introduce yourself. Uh, hi, I'm Suzette Duncan. I have been a teacher in the Bay Area since uh, 2004. I taught humanities mostly, and I feel like I've been a maker all my life. I know that I learned how to make things for my dad. He taught me a lot about how not just to build things, but also to uh, be self-reliant, right? Not have to rely on other people to get the things that I need. So uh, right now I am working with um, new teachers, teachers who don't yet have their credentials, um, but who are working in schools. Some of them are the teachers of records. So my, the teachers I'm working with are uh, mostly in San Jose and they work in some um, communities that are under-resourced. Um, and I really love these teachers. They're young and excited, um, but I also see just how little we generally prepare our teachers for the work that they're gonna be doing. So um, I'm really interested in thinking about um, how to get those teachers excited and trained in maker education and in using technology in their classrooms. Uh, um, and I also uh, just want them to be able to envision kind of uh, the, the education of the future. 
um, for their students and for themselves. Awesome, thanks Suzette. Um, let's have the Grass Valley Elementary team. Hi, I'm Paula and um, I have been an educator in Oakland, California for over 25 years. Um, started, <laughs> started making, oh, when I was a young child, love to just create all kinds of things like take old junk and put it together to new uses. Um, been here at Grass Valley for, this is the beginning of the sixth year, but um, all my teaching has been in Oakland with students of color. And I, for me, it's really important to be here in this community um, as an African-American teacher, because when I was growing up going to school, I didn't have any black teachers. And so that's part of what equity means to me, uh, why it's hugely important. And I am thrilled to be here at Grass Valley as a teacher on special assignment uh, in charge of the maker education program. And then I have wonderful teachers that I work with, like this one right here next to me. And I'll pass it over to her. Hello, everyone. My name is Roxy Martinez. I also teach at Grass Valley Elementary School in Oakland, California. I started off my teaching career as a special day class teacher, um, and that was four years ago. Uh, I, this is the first school I've ever worked at, so Grass Valley is my home school. Um, and I was lucky enough to be chosen um, with Paula and our previous administrator to start a pilot of maker education here at Grass Valley and was so excited to be able to utilize what Maker can do for students with um, learning differences and neurological differences and different learning modalities to really shine and show that all learning at all different levels can be celebrated and that all students can access curriculum through making because it's something that is innate to who they are. Um, sorry, our phone is ringing. Let me answer that and then I'll be right back. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys. No, it's, it's great. We're live. We're in the school. Like I said, we're out here doing it. Um, Kenan, introduce yourself. Tell us, tell us where you're at, my friend. Hello, everyone. I'm Kenan Scott. I'm the computer science and engineering teacher here at West Oakland Middle School, where I've been for four years. Uh, previously, I was a civil engineer, one of very few African-American civil engineers in my firm. And for me, equity is all about ownership. And I left engineering to provide a new space and a new face for African-American students in the engineering field and really to provide them with an opportunity to really own their, their own future and really become the creators of their own future. And so for me, equity is all about students having their own value shine and feeling valuable themselves. I'm also the founder of Coded Academy, which will be a awesome school, middle school in Oakland that focuses on computer science integration into all disciplines, not just sitting in one awesome room like this. Awesome, thanks Kenan. Um, and thank you all. This is a really awesome group. And as, as you just heard, they're out here doing the work, making things happen. Um, I want to jump into just talking kind of generally about, um, you know, how we think about making, how I know I think about making. Um, I, I know I see 
making and think a lot about empowerment and that idea of ownership like you were just getting at, Kenan. Um, why do you think and what aspects of maker education do you think make it um, so that it has such awesome potential to challenge the status quo in education and to empower in ways that maybe other types of teaching and learning don't? And, and anyone can jump in. Well, what I've found to be really cool in, in my exploration of making and bringing it to West Oakland Middle School is that it taps into some of the natural skill sets that students already have, the curiosities that they have, um, even better when it starts to tap into some of the cultural abilities that they have, the ingenuity that these students just on a daily basis have to bring to their lives. So when you bring that into the classroom and you tell them that that's valuable and that that's how they're going to show their learning, then you get a lot more buy-in than if you were to say, hey, here's my standard and you need to meet my standard in order to show me you know or have learned anything in this class. When you open it up and you allow them to be the creator of that, then you start to get engagement on a whole different level. Um, I, think, I think you used the phrase cultural ingenuity, which I think is a really awesome phrase. Um, and, and anyone, I think, I think a lot of you would have examples of this. What, what, kind, what does that look like in practice or when in the classroom, in the classroom environment, when that plays out? What types of things do you see? I'll chime in. This is David Clifford. I think in, in order to get to the inherent cultural, what did you call it, Kenan? Innovate, ingenuity, right? That's inherent in, in, in our kids that we're working with. You need to set the container that allows that to happen, right? So you need to, to first, as, as an educator, as a school, you need to have that equity stance. So I love that you opened with what does equity mean to you? Um, so from my experience, equity means that um, every student and every adult has the opportunity to be their full self. So that's their, their full identities, their um, full capacity, their strengths, their skills, everything to surface, to be honored, uh, to be welcomed, and to be empowered. Uh, so once you set the container that allows that to happen, you can then start to allow kids to see, and it comes from asking juicy, juicy questions, right? Questions that um, actually mean something to the students that are in front of you, and that only comes from taking the time to know your kids and your adults. Um, so asking that juicy question, and then we as adults stepping back, biting our tongues, and seeing where that goes. And then you can add other things in there like tools, collaboration, et cetera. Uh, you really uh, pointed out something great, David, there, which is um, that container and allowing kids to be themselves at school. Uh, you know, I have a 14-year-old and I feel like she leaves herself at home every day when she goes to school. And as much as I try to combat against that, I see that happening. Um, but I also, I've spent a lot of my career in independent schools and now working at the REACH Institute, I'm spending a lot of time in a lot of different uh, public and charter schools. And I have seen, I know that in independent schools, there is such a value placed on allowing kids to be their whole selves, right? At least in the progressive independent schools that I've worked in. And it makes me so angry, actually, and sad that 
we don't afford that opportunity and don't see it as a, val a valuable enough thing to encourage in all parts of education, public, charter, parochial, um, you know, only the most um, privileged, right, students uh, get that opportunity most of the time. And it's, it's so not fair and it does, it undermines so much of what could come out of all students, right? Like we don't see all the potential of our students because we don't allow them to be themselves. Yeah, I'd like to piggyback on what Suzette is bringing up. It's very true that um, in most public school settings, you, you have to be this one certain way. And I feel like that's what makes our school unique. We're a public elementary school, and we've decided to take on this task of maker education. But along with that, this whole broader um, view of cultural responsiveness and valuing the, like you said, the whole child, and we're creating a, a really strong school community where we have, we have an interesting kind of diversity, which is a little different from, I think, a lot of other schools in Oakland, where we have majority African-American students, um, a minority Latino, and then we have about 40% of our students have some sort of learning disability. So there is a different kind of diversity happening there and allowing them all to be who they are and bringing out the, the qualities that um, make them unique, but also shine and if you want to. Yeah, and I'd like to say that the acknowledgement of the fact that many of our students navigate a world in which they're constantly having to think about how their identity in, comes in contact with the rest of society and that we as educators have to be very explicit and truthful about our own vulnerability and what systems of oppression exist with our lives and then what systems of oppressions exist with their lives and then how can we combat that within the realm of education and saying to them, I know that this happens when you get on the bus and I know that this happens when you come to school and that I've experienced myself a teacher saying that I had to act a certain way at school and then I could do what I wanted to do at home and those two things couldn't live in the same person while I was in school setting. And I want to foster in students the belief that they can be the exact same person in both spaces and that they deserve to be the exact same person in both spaces. Um, and acknowledging that your identity is everything, that your identity can be and should be this huge highlight and celebration of what you bring to school and that everyone is going to learn from you because of who you are specifically. Yeah, I love how that just came all the way full circle back to, you know, that making is an expression of yourself. It's an expression of, of your value that you bring to society and that it really does, once you involve the entire kid, really does engage and bring out those nuances and those pieces that make them so special, that thought process that is so unique to them that we, you know, we may gloss over if we don't give them an opportunity to really showcase who they are through this making process. So these are all super wonderful. Um, so when you're, when you're going about actually like setting up a curriculum or setting up some maker programming, how do you, how do you create that? What, what steps do you take or what maybe is like the first couple things you think about to really create that space where a learner can be their whole self and be 
that full representation of their own identity. What are, what are some thoughts that you might have around that? I think, um, oh, go, go ahead. <laughs> um, I think that because our whole school is taking this on, it actually makes it a little easier in that we're always thinking about what's best for our students. Uh, how can we give them true voice and choice, not just pay lip service to that, but like when, we're, when we sit down, we meet every week in groups and plan our curriculum for our projects. And embedded in that planning is just thinking about and talking about what will work for a, the biggest variety of students. How, how are we being adaptive and responsive to what everyone needs? So being that, that's like kind of an underlying theme through all of our work. And I think for myself as a special educator, I instinctively think about ways to, to scaffold for all levels and through you know k through five at my particular context i think about how can each student um access this in a way that is true to who they are but still goes to the core of what standard or what kind of thinking point are we trying to get them to absorb here and i think that when people use words like diversity and inclusion and equity that sometimes those are words for like the higher ups to kind of gain uh, money and some sort of, yeah, like pats on the back <laughs> and that there is something to our school in which we have tried to foster this in the most communal way in that it ha all diversity, all inclusion has to come from the community and has to be sustained by our community. It's organic. Yes. And that when our students are working on these projects that our students in special day class are included as well and they get to give feedback to students in general ed and vice versa and that when we have expos they're all seeing each other's work and they're all being celebrated as a community roxy just before we move on would you mind sharing an example of a, of a project that um, you feel like was really successful in some of those things you just mentioned sure um, we did a a whole a year-long theme of food justice last year and um, some, the first component we did was kind of mapping where our stores in, in, in Oakland and how close is that to you know, our homes? And is there a difference between your zip code and where you're gonna find food? And what type of food are you gonna find? And so we did that mapping and all of our, our participating classes did that, including the special day classes. And they were able to use Google Maps and they found their own homes and they you know, tried to like circumnavigate where are all the, the food sources. And what we took with that first unit was they ended up doing their own kind of urban garden and they learned to make their own planter and they planted food um, or planted seeds and grew beans and, and separate things to kind of show them the power that they had that despite the fact that we live in a food desert and that there are fundamental reasons of oppression and systematic things that are um, are happening there for them that they had power that they could use like making their own garden. I love that. That's so cool. And that is like just the gets to that idea of empowerment and how making can empower in ways that things really can. Um, Suzette, I think you had uh, something that you wanted to add. Oh, yeah. I was, uh, this summer I did some uh, like two-day maker uh, workshops at the Gender Spectrum Camp. 
Um, and uh, I had to really think about how I was going to create a collaborative and inclusive atmosphere really quickly. Um, so it kind of made me think about like, what are the essential things that need to happen um, to have kids instantly feel comfortable enough to express themselves. So one thing I did was I walked around the room and I talked to every kid. I introduced myself to every kid in the room and I made sure I remembered their name. And then I, I called on cold called them and they were so like, Oh, she knows my name. It was like instantly they were like, okay, this is a safe place and I can do what I need to do. Um, and it just made me think about, and I've talked about this a lot as a diversity educator, just like the importance of being known by a teacher, right? Or an adult in your community can be so transformative. And I do think that like maker education gives us the opportunity to know our students in a really different way, right? right. Like the conversations I've had with kids around creating things are so different than the conversations I've had with kids when I am making them write a thesis-based paragraph and they are like, why am I doing this? I'd, I'd love to build on two, two things. One, something that you said, Suzette, and then something that you said, Paula. Um, kids love to build. They love to feel known. Humans have been learning uh, with their hands for millions of years. And it really hasn't been since the, it's really the last 50, 60 years where our system has said, actually, no, maybe 100, uh, that says, no, you, we need to focus on the left hemisphere of the brain, right? And when we give kids the opportunity to utilize both hemispheres of their brain, their full bodies, um, and tackle something that's authentic to them, right, which gets to them feeling like they are, they belong, and they can become something great, that is when their whole bodies come back to life, which is really powerful. Um, and then, Paula, you mentioned something about Grass Valley Elementary, that it's the whole school is doing this work, and it is really important that the school does just that from the leadership, and if you have a board, the board's doing it, the leadership's doing it, on down to the kids and the, and the families. That if you want, because again, our system is siloed, because it's built off the capitalist's model of industrialization, right? It's currently siloed, but we need to embed equity consciousness or equity practice and the maker mindset and the maker practice everywhere. Right, and I love how you are doing it as an entire school and really using a theme to be able to do that. So thanks for that time. Um, are there, oh, Kenny, go ahead. I was just gonna say that I'm always super jealous of what's happening at Grass Valley. Like just, <laughs> just as a, as a side point, kind of point, if you wanna see it, that like always excited by what you guys are doing to, to really just give that the students light to give that light to their value right to shine that light on who they are and why what they see their lens is so important to the future of our entire society and so that's just hearts all the time for grass valley <laughs> thank you yeah we appreciate that and something we think about here is that we're creating we're hoping that we're empowering students to go leave when they leave our school to go on and push for this kind of education as they move up 
they go from elementary to middle to high school and on, that they're going to be the ones who are like, hey, why aren't we doing this when I get to your school, Kenan, which they hopefully would be by that time, um, and go on and on. But that they, they feel empowered to actively, advocate. you know, advocate for themselves what they need. I love that you're redesigning the graduate so that graduate is going to go on and expect more of the institutions that they're inheriting and so on and so forth. That's the maker mindset. Yeah, just to piggyback on that, I love that you brought up the future, right? Because I feel like so often in the classroom, we're thinking about, we're not even, we're thinking about like the present or the next day. We're not thinking about what's happening 20 years from now. And we really need to be considering, like think about the world that we live in. I would never have imagined that the world would be like this and that I would need the skills that I need to be in this world. And like, if we don't as educators, like put the future in, in front of us and think about how are we creating people who are gonna create a better future for us. Um, you know, I don't know, I, I feel like that is the job of educators a lot of the time is to like make sure that our students leave thinking about how they're going to keep on learning for the rest of their lives, how they're going to create for the rest of their lives, what they're going to do for the rest of their lives and how they're going to make the world better. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, what we're doing as maker educators and maker educators of color who are teaching hopefully students of color, um, is to push back against that. There's that whole idea that there's this deficit model and that more drill and kill is what's needed. And it's like, no, we need you to get learn your facts and, and let's do these worksheets over and over and over and over again. And like that, to get the kids to understand that though, that's not acceptable. I mean, we're, we're working with teachers too, but we want the kids to, to know that there's so, so much more to be had from education and filling out some worksheets that they can design their own education and pursue things that they're really interested in. And we want them to understand that. So that's another point. I think you, you brought up something really important, which is like the teacher mindset in the classroom too, right? And like, how are we retraining teachers um, to think about uh, educating kids for a different world and educating kids who are makers and creators and empowered? And I'd, I'd add to that that uh, at the D schools K twelve lab, we believe that every educator is already designing. They're just not aware that they're designing. So our job was to create opportunities that reignited that creative spirit. And of course, you need to embed equity and the maker spirit in there as well. But we, if we are going to design graduates that have the agency to affect change to think and act like designers and makers with an equity consciousness, we need to do develop those and inspire and empower those intrinsic skills in our educators now. Yeah, shout out to the, the K-12 lab because I always felt that as an engineer, you know, I was doing a lot of templatized work and I was, I was a traffic and transit engineer. I love my job. I loved providing access for people to new job opportunities, new cultural experiences. I mean, that's what, transit did for me as a young person but i also you know i i felt that like cookie cutter box that i was trapped in and as an educator i tell people all the time i do more engineering every day than i ever did 
as an actual sit down in an office cubicle engineer. Like every day I'm trying to differentiate, tweak, um, understand, invent, innovate, build, like analyze, like within moments, that's what I'm doing. As soon as the kids hit the door, wait, you're tired? Ooh, let me retweak that whole lesson because that was an energy, high energy lesson and y'all are low energy. I mean, that was just today's engineering. Like teachers, like David said, teachers are designers of experiences and they don't even realize how good they are at it. How do you help um, educators who might not see themselves as being designers or, or having a design experience? How do you help them see themselves in that light and, and not just see themselves in that light, but really embrace it in the way that you're describing? I like to first name it for teachers. You know, I have a math teacher here. She's a veteran teacher. She's a pillar of our community, but she's a crafter. Like she is the craftiest of crafty people. Like she makes, and in her class, they're always doing some sort of math based creation but she would never say that she was a maker at first or an engineer and the more that i just named it for her in those instances i said oh well yeah i mean you just engineered or you just create or you just made the more she started to use that vernacular herself and the more she started to own her identity as a maker and be like oh yeah well we are making or we are creating in my class and now her math class isn't just math but it it's always been a maker class but she now says that she can now vocalize that because i've just given her just the spark, just that, that little connection of what she's already doing, that's so great. Can I ask a question? Um, so last night I was doing a lesson about curriculum design with the teachers I'm working with, and like half of them brought up that they don't get to create their curriculum. Someone hands it to them. And they don't get to create the exit tickets that they do at the end of the day to check student learning because across the whole network, they need to be able to calibrate it and compare it. And I just am like, for me, the beauty of teaching, right, is that creativity, those moments when you're like, how do I get these kids to understand this complex idea? And you figure out this is the way, right? And you see it in class and it works and they, they love themselves for having learned that thing, right? And like, and I'm looking at these teachers and I think to myself, you're being robbed of this great thing that is like the essence of teaching. And I, you know, the rebel in me wants to say, push against that. Don't do it, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But of course I can't do that. So what do we do? I teach a nat national curriculum called Project Lead the Way, which is completely like almost like a curriculum in a box that you take a training on and then they open up the, the doors to the, to the cabinet and you just start pulling out of it. What I, what I find that helps me is that no matter what the suit is, I still have to tailor it for my students. So even if that intro is the same as what's happening in Pleasanton or my project is exactly the same as what's going on, you know, in, in some other city around the Bay, it is not going to look the same in how I talk about it, what references I use to draw that, to bring those connections, to make that real life, um, happen for our students, that real-life connectivity that has to happen. So, I mean, I would just challenge those teachers to see the ways in which that they're already tailoring that suit. Because they may be working with a suit, a seersucker suit, but, you know, that waistline might not fit. And so you got you to gotta do little tweaks the whole time. And they're doing those tweaks all the time. They're seeing that kid who missed it, and they're finding alternative ways to bring that knowledge to them. And even though it's within the box, they're still like able to finesse that box. I mean, I've seen people make cardboard into amazing dresses. And so 
I think that's exactly what they're doing. And just, just more opportunity for them to see those little nuanced moments when they've actually done that work, they've done that design work, they've done that empathy work. That's like, then they'll start to realize, oh, okay, it's cool. My open and my end might be cookie cutter because I got to have assessments, but I'm in the middle. I'm finessing and I'm being that design teacher. And Because you, you can't teach the same lesson at Grass Valley that you could at Lafayette. Even though it might be the same words, there is no way that you could go into those two spaces and teach the same lesson. Like the, the students are different. Totally. Um, Paula and Roxy, are there ways that you feel like Grass Valley really sets up your educators for success in, in having this kind of mindset and thinking along these lines? One of the things we did to get ready to make this change, because we're still in the midst of it, where this is our third year of being a maker-based school. And one of the things we did in the very beginning, the first year, was we very mindfully decided which people were gonna come on board. We, we did a rollout. We started with the teachers who already had that kind of mindset, the early adopters, who we knew, Roxy was one of them, um, who we knew would embrace the challenge and you know, be really excited about getting their hands dirty and working with it. And then during that first year, we sent or had people come in to provide professional development for our teachers to start getting them thinking in that way, in that making kind of way, in the design thinking way, and sent them to other schools so they could see things happening in other classrooms. And then the second year, the next cohort we brought on was the cohort we thought actually would have the most trouble with it um, so that they would have more time to get acclimated and have more supports. And then when we decided to go whole school, we added our lowest grades. Um, and because they kind of naturally do more uh, hands-on things and actually see the greatest potential in their students because they're the littlest ones who have nothing but potential and and haven't been boxed in too much yet. So that's how we try to be really thoughtful in the way that we rolled out our implementation. I'd like to add to it um, that a school, and whether it's the entire school culture or it's the classroom, that in order to give teachers the opportunity to develop creative courage or maker courage, there needs to be a cultural ethos of it's okay to fail. Our schools, man, they are filled. Every nook and cranny is somebody judging you, that you're not doing something right or you didn't get the right answer. And making, making literally saved my life as a kid. I would not be alive today if I didn't have my hands, my father, opportunities to build shit, excuse my language. Um, and there are countless other kids in the same way. And through along that time, you're gonna fail. And the only way we learn is through failure. So our classrooms need to have an ethos of uh, 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 learn by failing, fail forward, and having safe to fail experiments for all kids. And where actually it's safe for our brown and black students to fail, not just our white students. But the consequence is quite different in schools. Right. I absolutely agree with what 
you're saying, David. And that's something that we've talked a lot about at Grass Valley and try to model. So we have our professional learning communities where we have our three different groups, the ones that started first with the making and then our second year and now our newest ones. And we meet every single week. We plan together. We talk about our successes and failures and celebrate everything that we're doing and talk about how we can model that kind of it's okay to fail. We talk about it all the time. It's like, you failed, you learned something. Do it, try it again, do it again. All right, what can we learn from that? And it's, we're working. We're not totally there, but we're working on embedding that mindset school-wide in both teachers and students and making it okay, like lessening that pressure for perfection and knowing that failure is okay and that's a great way to learn as well. And I think in particular for students with learning disabilities and who already feel a lot of stigma about their learning and how they express their knowledge, there's something to this type of learning that makes it safe to be different and makes it safe to try something and not necessarily get it on the first try and across the school um, kids are seeing that, oh, well, that kid in that special day class, he made this awesome you know diorama that actually spun and you know had all these different components and maybe I can challenge myself a little bit more because I'm seeing kids who deal with a lot more challenges and they're willing to try this because they're already you know the stigma there but if we're all gonna do it and we're all going to fail then hey it's a party You underscored something really important too, uh, Paula, which is like the collaboration of the teachers, right? Like having the space to do that, I think creates the space for failure and experimentation, right? Because if you're on your own, um, it's really hard to make that, to have that trust, I guess, in yourself maybe, or, you know, you can trust other people that are going to support you. So I think like maker education, I think also has this great power to bring together communities of teachers and students and um, parents um, that other ways of educating don't because they're not always collaborative in that way. Awesome. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing a lot of processing here. I have to think this is really wonderful. Um, I, uh, I feel like this is, so one challenge I'm really hearing is this, is building um, creating a space for the educators to really be part of this. Um, are there other things that you feel like really need attention or like other challenges that really stand out that are, um, I don't know, keeping this from being as successful as we know it can be? Because I'm, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of these amazing examples of when it does work, but we all certainly know that that, I mean, we're just talking about this fail, failing, being positive mindset, like we know it doesn't always work. Um, so what are some other challenges and areas that you feel like educators really need to focus on? <laughs> I think, friends of the party. <laughs> One of the things that's really challenging in public education is that we have a lot of mandates. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of testing that has to happen. Um, there's specific curriculum that's supposed to be uh, used. And so having the freedom or the courage to push back against that and say, no, this is what's really important and empowering our students 
to believe in themselves and make change in the world. Like it's, it is difficult. It's, and it takes a lot of work to, to, to push back against those things that are coming down on us from the top. Um, and also to build networks of support for the work that we do. I mean, there's a great group of people here having this conversation and there's others um, around the Bay Area and the nation, but it's still kind of few and far between. So having that kind of support and, you know, when things get tough, being able to talk to other people about what you're doing and keep each other going is something that's really important and needed and there isn't enough of it. I'll piggyback on that and just say that being a part of a fellowship like Agency by Design with Paula opened up my eyes to just the multiple ways in which innovation is happening all around in all these classrooms where, you know, the good work is, is going down, but you don't get to see it when you're trapped in your room trying to do the good work. And so having these opportunities to share best practices, um, share what's working, what's not working, and also just have examples of you know, people who have done it. Because I think a lot of times it's hard to get a teacher to start thinking that, yeah, you can fail in front of kids and that's okay because that'll get them to feel okay with failure is, is a mindset that has to be, you know, a barrier, a mindset barrier that has to be uh, challenged and then busted through because, you know, teachers are, are still very used to being the one who is correct. And in maker ed, everyone's correct. And the process is what's valuable. The product is like a bonus. And so... I think, you know, having more of these groups like ABD, Agency by Design, and Maker Ed create these experiences for teachers to come together is huge. Yeah, I think that's an awesome point, Ken. And I think that what I'm hearing from all the things that all of you are saying is that community really sits at that, like, the center of it all. And that being part of a community and helping develop that community um, is, is so super crucial. I'd also like to add... Um, What's crucial, what's needed is for educators, particularly white educators, um, and there's many of them in K-12 and beyond, um, and even more of them in the design and maker world, to develop a deeper self-awareness of what they are and are not bringing into their maker space. And that maker space could be their classroom, it could be anywhere they're standing, because makers you can make anywhere. Um, I had the honor and privilege of working with the K-12 lab and the National Equity Project to develop a new approach to design thinking called liberatory design. You can look it up, hashtag liberatory design, where it is developing the equity-centered designer and maker that's intrinsic in all of us. And it first starts with noticing self, noticing your values, your uh, biases, your identities, and also where you stand situated to power and oppression and opportunities to dismantle oppression. So when I hear things like we have a specific curriculum, there's the top down coming down, like those all, those are all products of white supremacy, patriarchy, and capitalism. And if we do not empower our educators to act like equity-centered designers and makers, that that structure, that that nasty triangle of oppression will continue. And with the maker mindset, um, we can, as those that deconstruct and reconstruct, we can create more equitable uh, learning 
environments, but it has to start with developing a self-awareness. Awesome. Well, unfortunately, uh, we are almost out of time. Um, this has been truly such an awesome conversation. And I, um, I know that we will uh, be continuing this conversation, continuing to work as a group and to put out um, the resources we talked about today, resources in general to help support all of you out there who are watching and want to try and start taking these steps that we're talking about today. Um, and building these types of learning experiences into your spaces. Um, so thank you for watching. Um, if you want to find out more about these awesome conversations, um, you should follow Educator Innovator. They're at InnovatesED. Um, you can also join their newsletter, educatorinnovator.org. Um, and if you're particularly excited about maker education and you want to dive deep into that world, please, please follow us at MakerEd and follow all of these wonderful educators. Um, we are at MakerEd.org. All of their information will be shared um, on the event page. So if you want to follow them on Twitter or, you know, uh, see some examples of the work they're doing, that'll be there. Um, you can also check out MakerEd.org for some awesome resources. Um, does anyone want to close us out or have any final words or thoughts that you want to share before we wrap up this great conversation? You cannot start the dialogue with the white dude and end with the white dude. So I'm going to stop talking and leave it up to everybody else to close it out. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I came into this conversation thinking about white supremacy because that is the, right? That is the moment we're in. Our country is revealing itself for the, maybe for the first time in my lifetime, right? That people are being honest about the foundation of this country. And as educators, as an educator every day, I'm thinking about how do I dismantle that system? And I, I feel like this is one way, but we have to educate ourselves about all the ways that we can do it.